Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, good morning, Venture. Man, wasn't it awesome to see our students and the family ministry leading us today? Yeah, I, I love seeing that because it's, it's just a glimpse of all the ways that God is blessing through ministry to next generation. You know, at Venture, we made a commitment a few years ago. We, we said, we have got to reach the next generation. And God has blessed us with such phenomenal leaders from Chuck in the college ministry and Charles and Heather and student ministry and Noah and Diane who lead in our middle school and Heather and Joy and all the different ones that are plugged, all the, the volunteers that plug into it. I am so thankful for all that are pouring into that next generation. And one of the things we said, I, we, we met with Charlie on worship and we said, we don't want just great worship in the church. We want to develop a generation of worship leaders. And so he has key parts of his staff, Brooke, who you saw here today. She's not only part of the worship team, she invests in developing worship leaders. And so from middle school level and high school and college level. And so you saw some of the ones that are a part of her ministry in that. Rachel, who not only sings on the stage, she also works with our elementary students and invest in the children's choir with that. Because we, we have a vision that we want to see a generation of worshipers raised up, a generation that would not only bless our church, but bless the Bay Area and beyond, because we think that is so important. And I am just so thankful today, you kind of, you see some of the fruit of that, to see young people across the ages who are up here leading us. And so can we just take a moment and thank all the people that are investing, but most of all, let's praise God for what he's doing in Next Generation Ministry. Yeah. Now, as Diane said, you know, it's family ministry takeover, it's youth Sunday. And so you may be a little confused because one person on the stage does not match the age of the others. You're like, what's the old guy doing up there with that? And, and initially Charles was scheduled to preach this week. But as he was doing his ministry with some of our interns, uh, they were out, uh, I think, water skiing and he tore his hamstring. Yeah, and then he found out at the end of this week, he had to have it stapled back onto the bone, something like that, yeah. I know it sounds really painful. I probably should have been nicer. I kind of laughed and said, welcome to being an old man. Um, <laughs> although he showed me up, he came hobbling in this morning. I, I can promise you, if anything gets stapled to any of my bones, don't look for me for about a month, okay? <laughs> I will be propped up somewhere, but he's doing well healing, but pray for it. But he was not available to, to preach this week. And so as I was thinking about just kind of what kind of message for this week, I didn't want to jump back in James. And because it's family ministry, we're looking at students, we're looking at next generation, we have seniors and difference. I, I really framed this message for those who are the, the next generation young people. I, I've just been thinking about what do they need to hear in this season? And, and I entitled it Gifts Worth Holding On To. Because sometimes you get some bad gifts, sometimes you get some really good gifts that are worth holding on to. Now, I, I looked it up this week. I was like, okay, what are the worst graduation gifts? Because there's a lot of bad ones. We got any graduates here? You grad high school, college? Although they have it for everything now, middle school, preschool, kindergarten. I mean, there's a graduate everywhere with it. And, and so what are the worst graduation gifts? Here's the list of just bad graduation gifts. I think these were for high school or college. One was uh, home decor items. They don't want it. They don't want it. A kitschy mug, a mug, you know, that kind of says something on it. They don't want it. 
Don't want it. Paperweights. Can I just go on record? Paperweight's a bad gift for any, any occasion. So we'll just go with that. Snow globes. No surprise. I, I, don't, I know of no graduate who really wants a snow globe. Inspirational stones. You know those rocks that somebody's printed a nice inspiring word in? Yeah, they don't want it. Some of you are going, ooh, I just gave someone this. Okay, with it. <laughs> a gift card to Bed Bath & Beyond. They, they don't want it. That wasn't on the list. I made that up. Commemorative pillows or items, anything that says class of. After they've graduated, they don't want it anymore. That's behind them. They put it away. It went to Goodwill. A copy of the book by Dr. Seuss, Oh, the Places You'll Go. Like it was a really cool idea 20 years ago. They don't want them anymore. Okay. And then the, the final one they don't want is piggy banks. Unless, unless you stuff the piggy, <laughs> which is the reality. If you're wondering what gift to give them, I, I can promise you the number one gift they want, cash. No graduate will ever turn it down with it. Here, here's what I would encourage you. If you've graduated college, high school in that, you may have gotten a few gifts that you go, Ugh, they go in that category. There's some every so often that they don't strike you at the time. But later you come back to it. Maybe it's a book, maybe something personal. And, and you realize it has deep meaning. There's something in it that you go, oh, there's something here. I, I want us to look at a passage today because in this passage, it's in Ephesians 1, if you want to look in your own Bible, we'll look at it on the screen as well. But in it, I, I, I found myself drawn to this passage because Paul is describing some gifts that are given to us that really are game-changing for life, especially if you're starting out life, especially if you're in that season that you're trying to figure things out. And as you, you look at it, he writes in Ephesians and, and just the background on it, Paul, an apostle of Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. And, and this book of Ephesians and the world that they lived in, I think it's particularly pertinent to the next generation because the reality is you're growing up in a different world than I grew up in. The world has changed so fast. Culture's changing so much. You guys are facing things that frankly we didn't face. Now we had some of the same struggles and temptations and all that, but we weren't dealing with it in a world of technology. We weren't dealing with it in a world that has moved so far, so fast, so away from many of the values that a lot of us grew up in. And you need to hear from me, those of you in the next generation, man, our middle schoolers, our high schoolers, college students, young adults with that. Man, I admire you. I admire you as you are having to navigate and take stands and step out in a culture and a time that's frankly much harder than what I faced. And when I watch you do that, man, it's so inspiring. That's why when, when Paul writes Ephesus, the city of Ephesus is actually more like your world than it is like the world I grew up in. The city of Ephesus was so far away from God, so far. If you came into Ephesus, Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the world. So it's a world city. I mean, it had everything there. It was a shopping city. They had this huge thing called the Agora. It's marketplace that was there that was two, the size of two football fields side by side. 
just massive market. And people would travel all over just to shop there and be there. It was a city of culture and learning. So education was highly valued there. They had a lot of entertainment. In fact, they built a theater there that could seat 25,000 people. That's how massive it was in it. It was a tourist city because there was this temple. It was called the Temple of Artemis or Diana, depending on whether you're Roman or Greek, what you named her. But she was this goddess. And so they built this massive temple that when you came into it, there were all these arches, 127 columns that were 60 feet tall that created these arches that you went in. And then you went in and there were all these idols and statues most of them sexual in nature. Like if you were to go there and walk through it with your parents, you'd be embarrassed. You'd be like, oh, okay, we're not gonna look that, oh, we're not gonna look this way. Because it was such a sexualized culture. And everything was celebrated there. And so so when Paul's writing to this group in Ephesus, They're dealing with a world that our world is becoming more like, but frankly, was even further away. And Paul writes to this group, and and think about it, he's writing to this group of the church, and they're in the middle of this pagan culture and all this activity and all this is going on. You would think he would start this letter out with, hey, man, I got to get your attention. I got to warn you guys, the world is bad. And you don't need to do this and you don't need to go to that temple and you don't need to, and you stay away from that. And let me just straighten you guys out. But if you read this letter of Ephesians, Paul goes, no, 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 let's not get into behavior modification. Here's what you need to know more than anything else. Here's where we need to start. You need to know what God's done for you. You need to know the things that these gifts that he's given that literally will shape your identity because if you can get that right, then you can deal with the rest of it. But frankly, so often as church and sometimes as parents, we do it the opposite way. We wanna warn and tell and this and that and we don't focus on, on who's right in front of us and emphasizing what Christ has uniquely done for them and what it means in their lives. If you look at the basis of these gifts, just look at the next verse real quick though. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. And here's the key two words. All of the gifts, all of these blessings, everything he's gonna say is based on these two words. Are you in Christ? In Christ, you have every spiritual blessing from heavenly places. In Christ, you got these wonderful things. But, but this is why what we're talking about here and what I'm saying, this isn't just like a graduation speech. In fact, this is graduation season. And so there's thousands of graduation speeches going on right now. I like reading some of the better ones. Every so often they get posted, I like reading. They're inspiring in ways or you see a story or depending on the person. There's some really great graduation speeches Most of them though, frankly, are like, just get through it. Because there's kind of that same theme. It's like, you can do it and conquer life and and all the different parts of it. They're inspiring, but they're advice for life. Guys, Paul's not giving advice for life here. He goes, "I, I wanna tell you uniquely. I'm not sending you out and I'm not propping you up. I need to tell you, and this is what he's writing to Christians. He says, I need to tell you what is uniquely true about you if 
you're in Christ. If you have a relationship with him, if you know him and you're following him. And, and, and I say this because many of us, if you've been around the church, and especially if you've been raised in the church, some of you, you've been in Sunday school, you went to Venture Kids Camp and you've heard, and sometimes the message around it kind of, oh, okay, yeah, I've heard that before. Now you need to hear this. In Christ, the gifts God's given to you is unbelievable. You need to hold on to them today. Some of you, maybe you're here and you go, well, Tim, I don't know that I'm in Christ. I've not made that decision yet to follow him. And, and I understand that. I am, hear me, I'm so thankful you're here. I'm thankful that you're investigating and you're listening and, and I, I don't know how you came. If you came on your own, God brought you or invited you. Here would be my prayer today. As you hear what we're talking about, what, what we experience in Christ, there's part of you that goes, hmm, I would want that too. But that's a decision you're gonna have to make in that. And then some of you, and especially next generation, just real honestly, you're at a crossroads right now in your life because you're having to decide, is your faith your faith? Are you gonna actually follow Christ? Are you, are you gonna make it a part of your life? And a, a lot of young people, they hit different crossroads. Sometimes at the end of high school, sometimes it's in college, sometimes as a young adult. And, and frankly, you're, you're at that crossroads right now that you're trying to decide man, am I gonna own this and follow it and make this mine? And I would hope today you would hear when you, when you make a decision, whether it's deconstructing or walking away or whatever term you wanna give, when you make that decision, it's more than just walking away from a belief system. More than anything, it's walking away from, from what Christ has uniquely done and does uniquely do in our lives. And these gifts that are only experienced in him. So what are those gifts? Well, let me give you the first one. First one is he chose you. He chose you. Now you hear that and you go, oh, Tim, I was hoping for something a little more tangible. Actually, this one is so radical. I mean, when you stop and you think about it, look, look how Paul puts it. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. I mean, he just comes out of the gate and he goes, hey, you want a mind-blowing principle? God chose you. And I know a lot of times we, we get into the debates of sovereignty and predestination and all the different parts. I covered all that in Romans, go listen to it there. We're not getting into that today. Here's all I want you to hear. Here's all I want you to know. God chose you. The God of the universe chose you. And, and the reason that that is so powerful is if we're honest in all of life, you're going out into life and we put ourselves out there. We put ourselves out there on social media. You put yourself out there in relationship world. You put yourself out there trying to get in the right college. You put yourself out there, can I get the right job? Can I get the right relationship? Does somebody want to date me? Does someone want to ever marry me? Does someone want to stay married with me? And you go through enough life, some point along the way, you experience some rejection. Or you, you kind of find yourself in that place. You, you ever had that, like that worst day in middle school when the PE coach walks out and says, hey, we're not gonna have class today. We're gonna play dodgeball. Pick teams. And you're like, oh, great. 
Like, I gotta stand on the sideline. I remember when I was a kid in elementary school, every Sunday, I told the brothers and I, every Sunday we played tackle football down at the park right down the street from us. And everybody in the neighborhood, you knew what time to be there. And it was Sunday afternoon, rain or shine, whatever else, we, we, we'd go out there and it'd be cold some days. And I would go and it was my two older brothers and mainly their friends. So I was like the youngest kid there. And it never failed every week as they're picking teams. I knew what was coming. You know, you're waiting and waiting and waiting. And then finally, you know, usually my oldest brother, Troy, he'd kind of look out for me, go, all right, we'll take Timmy. And then when we play the game, the whole game, I only had two plays. One, when we were on offense, it would be, hey, Timmy, we need you to block. It's so important you block. Which in a pickup game, nobody wants to block. But that, that was my job. And then every so often, Troy would say, hey, Timmy, I need you to go long. Go long. And he's like, go to the end zone. And there at the park, we had a tree in one end and there was a flagpole at the other end of the park. And those denoted the two end zones. And he would just say, go long. And the hope would be somebody would be dumb enough as a defender to follow me. Because they were never gonna throw the ball to me. I remember one Sunday, it was like, okay, Timmy, go long. And I know what's coming, but I would run my heart out. And so I run, I run all the way down to the end zone and I'm standing there and I just would stand there and kind of watch the play in action. And I'm watching my brother, Troy, he's going back and forth. He's looking for somebody open. He's looking at which way he can go. And finally, right before he's about to get tackled in desperation, he heaves it toward me. And I see the ball. I mean, it's like a duck. It was up in the air forever. <laughs> but remember, nobody followed me. So I'm 30 yards from the closest person. So I'm just alone. The ball's coming to me. I was like, this is my big moment. Everything in me was like, I'm going to show them why they should have been throwing it to me all along. And I remember I went running up and there was the ball and I jumped and right when I'm catching it, what I didn't pay attention to was the flagpole. <laughs> and, and literally right as the ball is touching my fingers, suddenly my head goes dong. That's the last thing I remember until I'm, I'm laying flat on my back and I look up and everybody's circled around me. You know, kind of see if I'm dead or whatever. And then I'll never forget my brother Todd looks down at me and he goes, you got tackled by the flagpole. <laughs> and then they all scatter and we keep playing. We didn't know much about concussions and stuff then. So we just kept playing. In fact, the worst part was the next Sunday afternoon when they were picking teams and I'm sitting there waiting. I'm the last one standing there. And my brother Todd's picking and he looks over and he goes, he looks right at me and he goes, we'll take the flagpole. You guys can have Timmy. <laughs> so funny. Now, we all have kind of those moments in life. You can kind of laugh when it's pickup football. But it's not so funny when it's life. It's not so funny when you don't get in the college you wanted to. It's not so funny when you don't get the job or you don't get the promotion. Or you don't get the date. Or you see your bail's getting married. And, and you look around and you can come up with a thousand reasons of why no one should want you.
because we're real good at that. Hear me. Everybody in life is deciding whether they want you or need you based on what you can do for them. Here's what I love about God. He chose us based on what he wanted to do for us. He chose us to make us holy and blameless. It's not because we were holy and blameless. It's not because we were worthy. It's not because we were good enough. That's what every other religion teaches. That's what every other system out there, they will teach you, you better get your act together and you gotta do enough and you gotta measure up enough and be, be good enough with it and so that maybe you can appease God or Allah or, or the system or karma, whatever system it is, everything else is based on you better get your act together and you better be worthy enough for that God. And Christianity says the opposite. Christianity says, God knows you're not worthy enough. God knows you're not gonna ever measure up except in him. And he looks at you and says, I choose you not because you are worthy, but because I'm going to make you worthy and I'm gonna make you holy and I'm gonna make you blameless in Christ. Guys, your takeaway on this gift, you can always tell yourself, I am wanted. I am wanted. There will be a lot of people in life that will reject you. There'll be a lot of people that will look at you and go, no, you can't do for me what I want from you. In those moments, in those days, instead of defining your worth and your value and your person on who rejected you, what would it look like if you started with who wanted you? The God of this universe chose you and wanted you. And, and he didn't just want you to be a part of his team. He didn't just pick teams. Look at the second gift. He adopted you. He adopted you. Look at this verse. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. At the end of this verse, Paul is just going, in this radical, in this mind blowing that he would love us that much, that he adopted us? Now again, in that context, remember he's writing the people at Ephesus. And when he wrote them, for them, this is a mind blowing term. Nobody adopts. Nobody does that. In fact, in that culture, if you went back to Ephesus at that time, remember I told you there was that big theater, 25,000 seat theater. One of the plays that you would see at the theater is a play called Oedipus Rex. And in it, I mean, it's a weird play. Freud had a heyday with it and used different parts with it. But, but at the beginning of the play, there's this king and the king has a baby and he and his wife and the baby's brought to the king, it's placed before him and the king has to make his decision and he decides, yeah, I don't want this baby. And he actually pins the feet of the baby together and they go and they place him out in the, sometimes there's a trash dump or just out in the field. Because in that time period, if you were watching the play, I mean, if we saw that play today and these were the heroes of the play and that's how it starts, they did what to a baby? We'd go, these people are monsters. 
Everybody else watching the play in that time period, they go, oh yeah, that's normal. Because that's what happened, guys. When a baby was born, it was brought to his father. Placed at his father's feet or her father's feet. And the dad looked at it and said, hmm, oh, it's a girl, I wanted a boy. Hmm. Oh, look, it's got a birthmark. Oh, look, they don't look very strong. And what they would do is just take the child, they would take them either out to the marketplace and kind of put them out there. There was a huge dump outside of town. A lot of the kids were taken to the dump. They were dumped there. And they were just left exposed to the elements. And, and that was their way of saying, we'll let the gods decide if they live or die, but I don't want this child. And that was the normal culture. Here's the other reality. Nobody wanted these children, except every so often someone would come along and they'd examine the child and they would raise them until they were teenagers so they could either make them a prostitute or a slave. They'd go, oh, this is a, a worthy child. In fact, there's a, there's a doctor from that time period. He wrote, he wrote a list of what to look for in a baby that you know will be, grow up to be a strong slave that you can sell. Isn't that sick? That was normal culture, by the way. Now, the reason the world's not like that today, by the way, is because of the impact of Jesus Christ. The reason life was valued, the reason people started taking in children into their home, and instead of selling them or turning them into prostitution, they actually adopted them in their family. You know the reason all of that changed? It changed because of this concept right here. The church realized, wait a second, when God came and he chose us, when God wanted us, he did something that nobody in culture was doing that day. He looked and he said, you don't just come into my kingdom as a slave, you come as family. You come as my son and you say, well, why a son? Because the son was the only one who inherited all the rights. And so he said, hey, I don't care if you're a girl, I don't care if you're a boy, I don't care if you're a man or a woman, everybody in God's kingdom gets all the rights. He doesn't distinguish in that way. But, but for this audience that's hearing this, in a culture where life was cheap and people were discarded all the time, to find out that the God of the universe adopted me, that I'm his child, that I'm family. See, here, here's the gift I hope you take away with it. You can always tell yourself, I belong. I, I belong in his kingdom. I belong in his family. I belong in his church. By the way, there's a reason the New Testament uses the terms about family. And I would just encourage you, especially those of you that are determining whether you're really gonna stick with church or not. You're hitting an age right now where you're going, I'm not sure about it. You're not just walking away from a belief system, you're walking away from family. And I get it, the family has problems. Some of you look at it and you go, yeah, but Tim, church. I mean, church, church has some weird people. There's some weird Christians. And I agree with you, there are some weird Christians. Every family though, let's be honest, every family has some weird people. When it's your family, you call them eccentric. You don't call them weird, but eccentric. Hey, we got some weird people, we get it. You go, yeah, but there's mean people in the church too. I get it, there's some mean people in the church. You, you look at it and go, yeah, but people in the church, they don't always live up to what they, I get it. Because you know why we have all those issues? 
When God was choosing who would be in his family, he didn't walk around and go, oh, I'm only gonna choose perfect people and good people and people have their act together because that's all I have in my family. No, he knew, by the way, none of those people existed. He said, I'm gonna choose sinful people and broken people and people who are on a journey and people who aren't quite there yet. And I'm going to make them family so that I can make them holy and blameless. And so all I would say to you, you will always find someone in this family that you can go, oh. And here's what I would challenge you. Why don't you cut them the same slack that somebody needs to cut you? Because I doubt you're perfect either. But we belong. We belong as family. And some of you need to hear that because in the same way I told you, it's a hard world out there. Every single one of us, there's days you find yourself alone. There's days when you look at yourself and you go, man, I don't know that I belong anywhere. At least I don't feel like it. And to know at a starting point, the God of the universe said, no, let me just say, you belong with me. I am your father. You are my child. That Jesus said, you are my friend. See, that's what's so radical. These people, they were used to hearing that somebody picked up a child to make them a slave. What did God specifically say? I didn't adopt you as slaves, I adopted you as sons and daughters. What did Jesus specifically say? I wanted you not as my servant, I want you as my friend. Have you ever let that sink in? That Jesus looks at you and says, we're friends, you belong in my friend group. You're with me. Sometimes I think we, we forget what that really means. I remember when Drew was a little guy, my oldest son, Drew, uh, he's 21 now. When he was a little guy, he hit that age, little boys especially, they can hit an age where they think their fathers are the greatest thing in the world. And Drew especially, I mean, he would follow me around. He wanted to know everything, he wanted to do everything. And one day I was sitting on the sofa and he came running in and he goes, dad, I've been thinking, I've been thinking. I said, okay, Drew, he goes, when I grow up, I'm gonna live with you. <laughs> now you think I would be excited, but I was like, whoa, wait a second, fella. No, when you grow up, you'll have your own place. And so he kind of stepped back confused. And he goes, okay, I know, I'll live in the house right next door to you. I said, all right. I said, Drew, come here, come here. And so I sat him down. I said, look, I, I love hearing that, but here's what you need to know. One day you're gonna grow up and be the man. And man, if God gives you a wife, you'll be, the, you'll be the husband. And then if you have kids, you'll be the dad, you'll be the leader. And you'll have that family and that joy of it. And so I'm so thankful we have, but, but man, God's got great things for you that I want you to dream about. And he was taking it all in, he goes, okay, dad. And I said, so Drew, one day you'll have your own house and, and own family. Who knows where God's gonna take you in that? So he got up from the sofa and he started to walk away and then suddenly he like stopped like he had this revelation. And he turned around, his face was so excited. He goes, dad, I know. We could be friends. <laughs> and I grabbed him. I said, oh, true. Man, nothing would make me happier. And I'm just telling you, 
as he's coming into adulthood and, and my other kids as they're growing up. There's no greater joy than getting to love them as father, but the joy is they're becoming adults and the friendship that goes with it as well. And the gift that I have from the God of this universe that he looks at me and he looks at you and he says, you're mine. You're my family. You're my child. You're my friend. Hold on to this gift. Cherish it. Live in it. See, he chose us and he adopted us. There's one last term, one last gift that we want to look at because they all build together. The last one is he redeemed you. He redeemed you. See, if you were in Ephesus and, and you went, those, those children that were chosen, they were chosen as slaves. In fact, that term redemption, look how he puts it. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness is of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Now, redemption for us, if you've been in the church, we immediately go to the spiritual part of that term. When the Ephesians read this term, they heard this word all the time. Because Ephesus was one of the slave centers of the world. Huge slave market. For over 2,000 years, it was one of the main part of their trade when people came and they purchased, it was purchased people. And so from 1000 BC to 1080, you can see this predominant slave trade. And so let's take one of those babies that was discarded. Somebody picked them up off the street, they raised them to about 13, they wanna get them as strong. And then they would take them to the market and at the market, that's where you were redeemed. That's where somebody paid for you. And so all over Ephesus and in the church and the people that Paul's interacting and writing, they would know that term redemption. In fact, you might walk into somebody and they're in slavery and you go, oh, you were redeemed. Who redeemed you? Oh, Cornelius did. Yeah, he, he purchased me. How much did he redeem you for? Oh, 24 pieces of gold. And see, so you would know in that, oh man, you're valuable. 24 pieces of gold. I was 15 pieces of gold. I was, you would know your price. You would know your worth based on it. And, and so Paul comes and he goes, hey, listen to what the God of the universe did for you. He came and he chose you. He came and he adopted you. But to enact that transaction, he had to pay for you. You had to be redeemed. And, and what did he pay with? We've been redeemed through his blood. We were redeemed through the life of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. Is there anything more valuable? Is there anything more worthy? See, especially as you go out in life and, and you're in this season of life, if you're a young person and, and you got all these markers and we have all these things and, and you are trying to figure out, man, what am I worth? Do I have what it takes? Did I get the right degree? Did I get the right job? 
Do I have enough money that I feel worthy? Do, do I, am I good looking enough? Am I popular enough? Am I known enough? There's all these measures that you can go and I promise you, you start measuring yourself that way, it's never enough. Because none of those things fill you at a soul level and that's what you're asking. These are soul questions. And, and Paul goes, hey, hey, instead of answering it that way, what if you started with the fact that the God of the universe says, no, I want you? What if you rested in the fact that the God of the universe says, regardless of what anybody else does, anybody else says, anybody else measures you, you belong to me, your family. What, what if the God of the universe was willing to pay with his life for you? You know what you, would, you can hold on to? Man, I don't care what anybody else says about you. God says you, I am valuable. I am valuable in Christ. And, and I know even as I say that, if I had you go home and had you stand in front of the mirror and look and, and say these words to yourself, I am valuable. Some of you would have a hard time doing it because you'd immediately come up with all the reasons you're not valuable, all the reasons you don't measure up, all the reasons somebody has told you or rejected you or some of the tapes you've told yourself for a lifetime or some of the people that looked at you and said, <laughs> I don't want you. And you see that and feel that all the time. And if we did an honest ins inspection of your life, we probably both could find some things that we go, ooh. See, this value though, again, it's not based on you or me. It's not based on what we bring to God. It's not based on what we measured up. It's based on who he is. And your value is based on the fact that the God of the universe loves you. And he said that you are valuable to me. So much so, he loved you so much, he sent his son to die on a cross. See, if we look at us, we can come up with a number of reasons we're not valuable. In fact, I'm always reminded of having a bunch of kids over the years especially when they were little guys, each of them would kind of attach to different things. Some of them, it would be a stuffed animal. Kate had this frog she loved, Froggy. So much so we had a backup. We were panicked. We almost lost it once. We ordered a backup because we were like, life without Froggy will not be good. This child loves this animal so much. A couple of the boys, they had a blankie and a silky and that, especially the boys, it was interesting. They attached, I, I can remember that blankie that thing, we, we had one son, he didn't go anywhere without that blanket. And then bedtime, he had that blanket. In fact, you'd have to wait for him to go to sleep so you could slip the blanket out and go wash it because I didn't know what diseases it was carrying at that point. He loved the thing to death, literally. It got down to where it was just tatters. I have it saved in a bag today, that little bit of tatters. If I pulled it out and showed it to you, you would go, ooh, that's disgusting. There's nothing about looking at it that you would go, oh, that's valuable. But let me tell you, it's so valuable to me because of the one who loved it. The, the value was never in the blanket. The value was in the person who loved it. 
Guys, you do an honest assessment of yourself and you're probably frayed in some places and maybe a little tattered and maybe there's a thousand reasons you can come up with that you're not worth very much. You're looking at it the wrong way. Your value is based on who loves you and what he was willing to pay for you. See, that's a gift worth holding on to. Some of you here today, you've been in Christ for years. You know what? You need to just stop and go, thank you, God, for the gifts you've given me in him. Some of you today, you haven't made that step of faith yet. Boy, I hope when you hear this, we're not talking about just accepting a belief system. We're talking about a whole new identity and way of life that's only available in Christ. And for some of you today that you've been raised in the church or you're on that journey and you're right on that precipice, you're deciding, am I gonna do a life in Christ or am I gonna do it alone? Hear me. There's nothing out there that will do in here at your soul level what you need more than Christ. Don't walk away from that lightly. See, what what has been done for us, what's been given to us, these are all gifts and every one of these gifts is worth holding on to because Christ is worth holding on to. He makes all the difference. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We just thank you for what he's done for us and what he accomplished. Lord, I pray that the truth of this would just sink in for each of us again. Lord, we're in a world where life is becoming cheaper. We're in a world that uh, we face a lot of rejection. And, And I pray for young people. They face rejection every day. Some of it on social media, some of it just out there. Lord, I pray when those voices, when those lies, when those those reasons that we give ourselves to tear ourselves down, when they come flooding in, I, I pray we would remember these truths. I pray we'd hold on to the gift that you chose us because you wanted us. Lord, you adopted us because we belong with you. You paid for us. And the value of which we, we can never even fathom what it cost you. So we just stop and we thank you. Lord, I just thank you for Jesus today. Because of Jesus, this isn't just another speech. This isn't just a pep talk. Because of Jesus, these gifts are real and they are true. And so we pray these things in his name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.